0: Good morning, everybody. It is 7 minutes past 9 o'clock here in western North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. January the 29 2024. A chilly one down here in the mountains. We're in the uh, low 30s this morning. The monsoon is finally over. We got uh, about 5 inches of rain in the last three or four days, things were <laughs> things, things were floating down here. Uh, the, I live on a dirt road, and a good part of our uh, road is washed away. Uh, it is uh, it's been a, a challenging time, but it is not snow, so I will forever be grateful for that. Um, the NFL championship games yesterday, and thank goodness they were competitive. After you know a couple of uh wild card games that were and divisional games that were a little uh, lopsided, we had competitive games yesterday. uh If you listened to the show on Friday, you heard Dan Zampano's take on the games, and Dan was wrong on both of them. <laughs> He picked the Ravens, who were favorites, to beat Kansas City. Did not happen. And, of course, uh, Detroit, he picked Detroit to pull the upset over San Francisco. That also did not happen, but it uh, it took an epic collapse uh, for that one to come about. So uh, let's, let's get into some of these. Um, the narrative about the Chiefs-Ravens game is going to be about how Lamar Jackson failed Yet again. And at the end of the day, if you are a guy who is about to win or likely about to win your second most valuable player award in the NFL, but you have a 2-4 and four record uh, in the playoffs, you are going to get heat. But at the same time, this is not all on Lamar Jackson. The Ravens shot themselves in the foot Time after time after time. Just did um, some stupid thing. Uh, too many penalties. Uh, I think the Ravens had, what, 94 yards of penalties in this game? It's just idiotic stuff. You know, uh, uh, Flowers getting that uh, a taunting penalty after a great catch. And then he gets up and he's got a he's got a mouth off and then spin the ball right in the face of the guy uh, that was defending him and and he gets flagged. And then a couple of plays later, what does he do? He fumbles the ball. He makes a catch, he's going in for the touchdown, he has the ball punched away before he crosses the goal line and he ends up giving it up. You know, it's just dumb stuff. Uh, you know, they they turned the ball over. Lamar Jackson threw a, a bad interception, a couple of fumbles. You know, they were their worst enemies. And that's not to take anything away from the Chiefs. But when you look at this at the end of the day, if you are a Ravens fan and you are objective about this, you realize that this wasn't about Lamar Jackson. This was about a lack of discipline by that Ravens team. And things were chippy before the game. They were talking – they they were showing some highlights on television in that, you know, they're getting it chippy in pregame warmups. The kickers were getting into it, for God's sake. So you kind of knew that – you know, this might be a chippy kind of game, and it was, but most of it was on the Ravens' side. You know, there was a uh, a roughing the passer call late in the game um, where, you know, it wasn't necessarily that Mahomes got drilled after letting go of the ball. It's that the defender lowered his helmet and hit uh, – Mahome's basically under the chin with his helmet and came out and it's just just dumb stuff dumb stuff you know and the, the taunting thing is the dumbest of all of them. So the Kansas City Chiefs returned to the Super Bowl for the fourth time in the last five years. And I'm going to tell you the to me look Travis Kelsey had a great game. Right? Uh, 11 catches, 115 yards or 116 yards. Patrick Mahomes completed uh, what, the first 11 passes that he made in the game? But to me, the MVP of this game might be the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, Steve Spagnolo, who came out of the locker room calling for blitzes. And they – and look, and and Lamar Jackson did a hell of a job getting out of some of these. I mean, they're – you know, they, they could have sacked him, you know, a half a dozen more times. They sacked him four times as it was. But Jackson easily evaded, you know, four or five others by just somehow – you know, they, they get hands on him, and he's so strong that they couldn't hang on to him, and he ends up running eight times for 54 yards. You know – and and you know there was another time that a, a pass got tipped and Lamar Jackson had the 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 wherewithal to follow the ball and catch his own tip pass for a thirteen yard gain. You know I mean it's just it's it's craziness that people are going to blame Lamar Jackson yes he did throw that one interception with about six and a half minutes to go that was ill-advised but there was panic it <laughs> was panic in Baltimore right and uh but there were so many other things that happened in that game that this is not on Lamar Jackson in my opinion you want to blame it on uh, Zay flowers feel free because he was a dope I don't care he caught five passes for 115 yards and a touchdown. He was a dope. And then what does he do, too? I mean, he's he's angry at the call and, the, and the, then the fumble, and he goes and slams his hand down in frustration. Ends up, you know, cutting his hand. But, you know, y- you commit eight penalties, and you fumble the ball twice, bad things are going to happen. You know, and when you're – Offensive line can't control the pressure, and you force your quarterback to have to run out of the pocket time after time after time, bad things are going to happen. So Steve Spagnolo to me, he won that game for the Chiefs. And look, Kansas City didn't score a point in the second half, but they made some big plays in that second half. You know they kept the ball moving and they kept the clock moving. They dominated time of possession in this game by 15 minutes. They had it for 37 and a half minutes in this game. I mean, I think that I think Baltimore had the ball for about 10 minutes in the first half. So. You know, to me, it was just a great defensive effort by the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, again, Travis Kelsey came up huge when they needed him to. He was targeted 11 times and he caught all 11 balls. There was, and by the way, there was not a better catch. Then the one he made across the middle, Mahomes getting all kinds of, of of uh of pressure on a third down, and he throws it, and Kelsey is on the ground when he makes this catch. It was phenomenal. You know, and, and Rice had a great game as well. Caught eight passes, but Patrick Mahomes, thirty for thirty nine, made his first eleven throws. And look. This Kansas City Chiefs team all season we were saying about how this is not the same old Chiefs. This team looks beatable, right? This team is is inconsistent and you know, it's it's fragile and and nobody thought this was going to happen. But when the playoffs lights go on, the Kansas City Chiefs step up. Right, I mean, uh, you know, they came up big against Buffalo on the road last week. You know, this is the thing. People keep, you know, wanting to come up with a narrative about Ah Patrick Mahomes. You know, has never played on the road in the playoffs, and you know he's looked he's looked inconsistent this year. And you know, the, the Chiefs are are done. And his tan calls him the, <laughs> the Prince of Darkness. And he even said last week when he was making the call uh, to give the, you know, for the for the Ravens, he said, "I hate to I hate to go against the Prince of Darkness, but but the but here was the defensive play by the Kansas City Chiefs. They just were phenomenal." Fourth Super Bowl in five years. They are looking to become the first team to win it in back-to-back seasons since the Patriots did it 19 years ago. 19 years ago. So uh, you got to tip your cap to the Chiefs. You know, you just uh, you kind of you kind of wondered in the very beginning. You know, Kansas City gave the ball to won the toss and deferred and gave the ball to Baltimore first, and the defense got a three and out. And then the Chiefs proceed to go ten plays, eighty six yards, ate up five minutes and forty five seconds. You know, and then, you know, Baltimore responded, boom, quick. Six plays, 75 yards, you know, which is what they can do. And we're tied. But what do the Chiefs do again? They get the ball, and they then go 16 plays, 75 yards, over nine minutes. Before Isaiah Pacheco scores a touchdown to make it 14-7, uh, to seven. Uh, just four minutes into the second quarter. And Baltimore could do nothing after that. Harrison Butker with a, with a field goal with four seconds left in the half, and it's 17-7 going to halftime. And that stadium in Baltimore, you could have, you know, people were just stunned. Absolutely stunned. And Baltimore doesn't score again until, you know, J- Justin Tucker kicks a field goal with 2.34 to go. So, uh, you just got to hand it to the Chiefs, and you got to hand it to Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, we're looking at one of the all-time greats. You know, there's been talk about, you know, could he be the guy that replaces the GOAT in Tom Brady? I think we need to, you know, we need to pump the brakes on that. But if he ends up, you know, with five, six championships, and there's no reason to think that they won't, You know, maybe maybe he is, maybe he is, and you know, uh, Travis Kelsey, thirty-four years old. Who knows how much longer he's going to play? But he passed Jerry Rice for postseason receptions. How about that? You know, a lot of the uh, the the talk about Kelsey. We we, you know. Football fans know how good Jason Kelsey is and we we <laughs> we we you know we understand that part of it. The, you know the problem is the narrative with Jason Kelsey has become more about uh or Travis Kelsey I mean with uh, has the uh, has become more about uh Taylor Swift than it has his football ability. But this dude can play. This dude this is you know the the thing that probably separates him from a guy like you know Gronk is that Gronk was a better blocker than Travis Kelsey. But when it comes to having a nose for the football and catching the ball and being able to do things uh, after catching the ball, you know, he and Gronk are very similar skills. Gronk just was a better blocker than Travis Kelsey. But, man, you know, Taylor Swift aside, Travis Kelsey can play. And, of course, you know, then everybody, well, now they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Everybody wants to know: Is Taylor Swift going to be at the Super Bowl? (laughs) And we, you know, and it's look. Die-hard football fans are annoyed by the whole Taylor Swift thing. It doesn't bother me at all. First of all, I like Taylor Swift. I, you know, I I I I admire her. Uh, Look, this is a young girl that you know had a dream when she was a teenager, and she has done this all by herself. She writes her own music, uh, you know. She she uh, she's very uh, savvy. She's very talented. As you know, was a, a top country star, then becomes a top pop star, and she basically runs the world right now. She could run for president and win. I, I admire her, you know. I and, I, and I, I tell you what. I mean, I liked her when she was a country star, and I don't mind some of her pop music. So. Um, but everybody, you know, it was cracked me up. Is after the game, then you have one of these Swifties going online and saying, "Okay, can she? She has to. She's doing a a, uh, a concert in Japan, like the day before the Super Bowl. Well, how can she possibly make it?" So then we have a Swiftie going on. I saw it on Today Show this morning, and breaking down how the, with the time difference, and you know, if her concert gets over by midnight and she gets on a plane and drives back, she can be back in Vegas by Saturday night in plenty of time for Sunday's game you know and then she'd have to get on a plane and fly back cuz she's got another concert over there or in Australia or somewhere but uh you know so will she make it i don't i mean at the end of the day <laughs> whether whether uh taylor swift makes it or not makes no difference unless she was going to be the halftime entertainment it doesn't make any difference to the game this game is going to be huge whether she's there or not uh, but uh, you know, and then I, I was shocked. I was on Associated Press this morning doing my research for the uh, the show this morning. There was a story about her kissing Taylor's, i mean, uh, Travis Kelsey—after the game, with like 18 pictures of them together, or or her with with uh, Travis Kelsey's. Mom. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I know, and I like. I said I like her, but Lord Almighty, it's taken on a life of its own. But the Chiefs showed that uh, whatever narrative you wanted to have for the start, you know, for the season, you know, how they weren't, you know, as good as they have been in the past, doesn't matter. Because when the lights go on in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes gets it done. And he's got that that safety blanket of uh, – of Travis Kelsey there, and he used it, and he used it effectively, and Travis Kelsey was some huge, huge plays in that game. It is 25 minutes past Yeah, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll break down the uh, Lions 49ers game, which was uh, uh, very entertaining and very heart-wrenching at the same time. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 26 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Monday morning. Uh, so game number two um, looked for a while like it was going to be a Detroit Lions runaway. I mean, they jumped out quickly, 14 nothing in the first quarter. It led 24-7 to at the half. And it looked like it was a foregone conclusion, and the only thing to determine now was what the final score was going to be. And the people that had been running you know, this narrative over the last several weeks about how Brock Purdy isn't really a very good quarterback, about how he, he is just a game manager and about how he only plays well when the 49ers are ahead and he isn't able to rally a team and he isn't able to be a difference maker. He's a guy you win with, not a guy you win because of. Well, Brock Purdy has silenced those people. Uh, We saw it last week when he came up big. When he had to, a huge drive late in that game to uh, beat the Green Bay Packers. And then we saw it again this week with his performance in the second half when they were down by 17 points and had basically had their ass kicked for 30 minutes. And Brock Purdy in the first half of that game was 7 for 15 for 93 yards and an interception. So anybody that was jumping on the, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is an over, is overrated uh, bandwagon had all kinds of ammunition. Well, he came out in the second half and was 13 of 16, 174 yards, a touchdown, and two huge scrambles ended up running 5 times for 48 yards. But this is a team that's down 17 and Brock Purdy said we got this. Now, it doesn't hurt to have Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> you know, in your back pocket, right? Now McCaffrey had a touchdown and he had the lone score in the first half. But had another one in the second half, but Christian McCaffrey uh, Debo Samuel, who was supposedly a 50-50 decision, ends up with eight catches for 89 yards. And then the <laughs> one of the biggest plays of the game, Brandon Ayuk with a uh, a huge reception that bounced off the defender's face mask. And Ayuk somehow catches the deflection for a 51-yard gain, you know, and that's kind of when, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, you look at it and you go, well, the gods are smiling on the San Francisco 49ers. But, you know, Kyle Shanahan said when they went into the locker room at halftime, he said, you know, basically – the mindset of the team was we are not going out like this. You know, and he said, look, we played like it in the second half. And now the guy who was the last pick of the 2022 draft, and again, you know, get tired of talking about it, but now he's going up against Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, (laughs) look, um, That is a very good San Francisco team. 17 points in eight minutes in the third quarter. So when they have their minds right, I guess is the way to put it, you know, this is a dangerous team. You know, they had a 10-point lead with three minutes to go. The Lions actually had a chance here. They scored uh, Jameson Williams, caught a touchdown pass from Jared Goff with uh, 56 seconds left, and they got within a field goal. But then they had to try the onside kick. It was recovered by uh, San Francisco, and even if it hadn't been, it had been touched before it went 10 yards. But the key here, late in this game, Detroit is driving, and they, they quickly get it down into the red zone and they tried a running play and it got stuffed they didn't score so they were they and they had all three of their timeouts well because they couldn't get it in quickly they ended up having to waste one of their timeouts so when they eventually score with 56 seconds left they know they've only got two timeouts left so they can't kick the ball away because they can only stop the clock twice And, you know, if if San Francisco gets it, then, you know, game over. If they had had that third timeout, if they hadn't had to call that timeout in the red zone, now all of a sudden you can kick the ball deep. You say, all right, we, you know, we make three stops and we end up getting the ball back. We won't have any timeouts left, but we'll get the ball back with, you know, uh, maybe 30 seconds left on the clock. And who knows, we only need a field goal to tie it Senator to overtime, but having to take that time out late really, really hurt Detroit. Um, but again, big players make big plays. Christian McCaffrey, another huge game, but Brock Purdy, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear any more of this 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 uh, uh, you know this he can't win games. You know, we can't count on him to come up with, you know, drives when we need him to, because he is, you know, he's done it twice now in two weeks in the playoffs. And as as Dan Zapano said on the show last week, he said, Okay, can we stop talking about uh him being that last pick in the draft? Let's talk about hey, this kid's a good quarterback. And he is. He never seemed rattled. Now they showed sign. You know, they showed some uh, shots of him on the sidelines on the TV broadcast where you could tell he was. You know, he looked a little. I don't want to say frustrated. He looked confused. Like what the hell's going on here? You know, uh, he was. Uh, you know, like not real sure why he was playing the way he was and what was going on with the team. And it looked like they just needed to have a reset at halftime. Much like last week, remember when the Ravens were playing the Texans last week, and that was a 10-10 game at the half, and Lamar Jackson said at halftime, he basically cussed everybody out and took control of the locker room and said, you know, let's we need to get our act together. And Kyle Shanahan said that's basically what happened in the San Francisco locker room this week. Only it wasn't one player stepping up. It was everybody going, you know, we're no we're not finishing like this. We're too talented. Now, much is going to be made for the rest of this offseason and going into next year. Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions is going to take a lot of heat Because they went for it twice on fourth down and did not make it. And they were in field goal range in both of them. Now, you know, they were going to be, uh, you know, longish field goals. But that's potentially six points you've taken off the board. You know, we don't know how things would have shaken out. Things might, you know, maybe, you know, San Francisco plays it differently. Should that have happened? But but at the end of the day, Dan Campbell, since he got to Detroit, has been a gambler, has been a guy that likes to be aggressive, and it has served them well. And he said, look. I understand the scrutiny I'm going to get. It's part of it. You know, it's part of the gig. It just didn't work out. But, you know, they they went – they chose to try to go for it fourth and two from the 28 instead of shoot, going for a 45, 46-yard field goal. Jared Goff, you know, threw the ball to Josh Reynolds and it bounced out of his hands. 49ers get the ball. Um. Then with San Francisco having that 27-24 lead, it was fourth and three from the 49ers' 30-yard line midway through the fourth quarter. They could have kicked a tying field goal. It would have been a 47-48-yard field goal, but, you know, makeable, you would think. You know, and maybe part of the problem, maybe one of the reasons they made the decision is is that uh, their field goal kicker, um, hadn't been with the team all season, Michael Badgley, so maybe he didn't feel, you know, as confident as he would have. I You know, I don't know. But he's going to get some heat. There's no question about it. But, again, I you know, I'm not going to blame him for that. That is the way they got there. We saw that in multiple games this season. We saw it his, from, from the time he got there in 2021. Matter of fact, since he got there in 2021, they have led the NFL with 62 conversions on fourth down in the last three years. 62 times. And if you're into analytics, and I'm not a big analytics guy, but if you're into analytics, analytics actually said that what they did wasn't necessarily wrong. You know, the analytics say that uh, uh, they were rated as a quote with, called medium go for it. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, the computers thought that it was, uh, they were bad decisions. You know, they were kind of like 50-50 calls, well, eh, you know, because, you know, you're, you're, the percentage of your kicker making it from that distance and, you know, whatever. And look, in the, you know, and and the thing is, is, and the other thing you have to give credit, we're talking about what Brock Purdy did in the second half. The other thing you have to give credit to is the way that San Francisco defense stepped up. The Detroit Lions ran all over the 49ers in the first half. I think they had 120 or 130 yards rushing in the first half. I mean, they did what ever they wanted to. And the 49ers just completely shut that down in the second half. So yeah, Brock Purdy did some great things and and uh, the the catch by Brandon Ayuk and you know all these other things, you know, that's great. But at the end of the day, that defense stepped up when it needed to step up as well as Brock Purdy, and the rest of that offense. So, uh, you know, I feel badly for the Lions. There was a big part of me that wanted them to get in. They are the only team, by the way, uh, that has played every season of the Super Bowl era without actually getting to a Super Bowl. And, you know, a 24-7 lead, it looked like a slam dunk. And now we have a 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl. This is a rematch of the Super Bowl from four years ago. Kansas City won that one 31-20. But in that one, they did not have Christian McCaffrey. They did not have Brock Purdy. So uh, it should be an entertaining Super Bowl. At least I hope it is. Right? I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the Super Bowls ends up being not so great. Uh, And I believe I saw the early odds in the Super Bowl where San Francisco is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite uh, for the uh, game that will take place in Las Vegas. Uh, But uh, look, a couple of entertaining games yesterday. have no complaints whatsoever. And uh, uh, congratulations to both teams. And look, um, there was that stretch... In the middle of the season where the 49ers lost three games, everybody was like, oh, my God, what's the matter with them? But for the rest of the year, they played like one of the uh, two or three best teams in the NFL. Kansas City, not so much. But uh, Patrick Mahomes showing why he is rapidly uh, – well, he's already considered one of the all-time greats, but is is looking to cement uh, his legacy. And they win another Super Bowl and uh, make it back to back you know his his name and uh uh Tom Brady's names are going to be linked uh forever so uh it is 41 minutes past here yeah, we're going to take a break when we come back we've got uh, some basketball talk and a little baseball news uh things not looking uh too good for the uh the Oakland Athletics as they uh, look to relocate to Las Vegas there's some uh, funding issues with that stadium and some space issues and some contractual issues with television, yada, yada, yada. So we'll talk about all that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake-Up Call here on a Monday morning. So before I watch the uh, football games yesterday, I tuned in to uh, the UConn-Xavier game. Of course, UConn number one in the nation in men's basketball. And they... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they beat Xavier by 43 points. It looked like a uh, college basketball team playing against a high school basketball team. It was uh, one of the most dominating per- – well, one of the most dominating performances I've seen from UConn in a long time. And if there was any doubt that they are the team to beat, I think it is over. I mean, look, they, uh, they led uh, – they scored the first 10 points of the game. I think uh, at one point it was – 38 to seven was six minutes to go in the first half I mean that is just uh, unbelievable um, having the big kid Donovan Klingon, back uh, has been a godsend for them their defense since he came back having that presence in the middle um, it means it means the world uh, you know Tristan Newton with 22 points Klingon had uh, 18. And uh, UConn just uh, just that uh, was crazy. And look, they've uh, uh, it was their second biggest victory in a Big East game ever. Uh, it is their largest margin of victory since they beat Cincinnati back in uh, 2008. Um, this team is just really good. Uh, hit a team record. 17 three-pointers in the game, including the the seven-footer clinging, banging one in. <laughs> Danny Early said after the game, I'm still trying to, to figure that one out. Uh, it was just that kind of game. So UConn will stay number one, and uh, they may actually get a couple more first-place votes. Some that went to Purdue last week might end up going to the Huskies this week because they just are uh, firing on all cylinders right now. Uh, UConn women played on Saturday and uh, got embarrassed at Gamble, by Notre Dame. They got embarrassed by a five foot six inch freshman named Hannah Hidalgo, who made the Huskies look silly. Uh, she had thirty four points in this game, scored at will, took them to the hole every time she had the ball. I mean, she just was on fire. Aaliyah Edwards played great for UConn. 23 points, 11 rebounds. But Paige Beckers, who's one of the best players in the country, looked lost. Shot just 5 for 17. Just, you know, seemed very um, out of sync. Hesitant to shoot at times. Uh, Unsure. It didn't help that Nika Mule, their, uh, their starting point guard, didn't score a point. Fouled out early in the second half, and was a non-factor. And she's a big defensive player for the UConn Huskies. So now UConn, who had climbed back up to eight and won 13 in a row, and they're still 17-4, and they're going to drop out of the top ten. And, you know, here we go again. All the injuries have caught up to UConn. You know, we knew that was going to be a problem with you know with uh, you know five players out again, the same issue they were facing last year. But the fact that Paige Beckers didn't step up when they really needed her, her to uh, is a little bit concerning. You know, and look, she loves to play. She loves to get her teammates involved. Sometimes she passes. There was a there was a, a, a time in the game yesterday. The UConn had like a, I think it was a three on one. They didn't score because they overpassed. You know, Paige Beckers instead of taking a shot like in the paint passed to Aaliyah Edwards, allowed the defense time to recover, and they didn't end up scoring. And you can see Gino on the side, like, you know, shoot the ball. You know, you gotta you gotta shoot the ball. So I I I you know, you hate to say this, but you you look at that Yukon women's team who's, you know, been one of the greats uh, over the years, they may be headed for the same kind of uh, situation they had last year where they got embarrassed uh, by Ohio State and didn't even make the Final Four. I think we might be heading for something similar this year. Uh, we'll find out a lot about what this team is made of. They have to play number one South Carolina <laughs> in South Carolina uh, later in the season. So that uh, that's going to tell us a lot about where this UConn team is going into the NCAA tournament this year but it is obvious that the Big East is very very weak and UConn's going to run through the Big East because there is nobody there to challenge them but when they step outside the Big East uh, they've got their hands full. Um, Some baseball news so there is a, a meeting this week in Las Vegas about the new stadium being proposed for the Oakland Athletics? Well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, um, they want to build a retractable roof. Well, they've come to find out from the architects that the site that they want to build on is too small for the retractable roof. So they may have to ditch that and go to a, uh, a permanent roof, which I don't look, I don't think that's the end of the world in Las Vegas because by and large, how many days a year are you really going to be able to have that roof open? I suppose at night, if you play night games, I suppose there's times that you can. But more often than not, it's so damn hot in Vegas, you're going to want the damn thing closed anyway. But the problem is now that, that uh, the site is too small. And where's the money coming from? Because the owner, John Fisher, has yet to come up with the billion dollars of funding that the A's have to provide as part of this project, and and they have yet to show the city of Las Vegas where the money's coming from. So you begin to wonder, could this thing fall apart? And Ken Rosenthal had an article in The Athletic this morning Basically saying, uh, wake me when it's over. You know, because he is skeptical that this A's thing in Vegas is going to get done. As it is, after this year, this coming year in Oakland, when their lease expires, they've got nowhere to play for three years before the stadium would even be ready in Oakland if everything goes forward as planned. And the other part of, you know, and so if they decide and there's been talk about them playing up in Sacramento or some other places like that, here's the problem. If they play outside of the Bay Area, which is likely, they will lose their contract with their local uh, sports network, NBC Sports California. Right now, under the deal, uh, which runs through 2033. If they play outside, the contract is void. And guess what? Oakland got 67 million dollars from that contract last season. That paid most of their payroll, by the way. Which is why people telling me that you know the A's don't have money is a joke. It just means that they don't. That means that all the money from everything else is going into their owner's pocket. But if they lose that money because they don't play in Oakland or share the stadium with, uh, with the Giants maybe, I don't think the Giants would go for that, but uh, they could lose that money, which is going to affect Fisher's bottom line, which could affect the amount of money that they have for the stadium, for players' salaries, et cetera, et cetera. Right now by the way, Forbes says that the A's are worth 1.2 billion dollars. Now, I suppose if uh, you know, if they get to Vegas it'll be worth more because of where they are, etc. But this team stinks. They don't have anybody that's any good. You know, so and if they lose that 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 TV contract, things could go south in a hurry. And you almost begin to wonder if they end up staying in Oakland after all. Because there's nowhere else to go because John Fisher can't afford it. you know. And it's going to make Major League Baseball look really bad because MLB uh, basically has bent over backwards and allowed the A's to do this. And if this deal in Oakland falls apart, I wonder if the ownership group could be in trouble. If the Major League Baseball and the other owners say, okay, uh, for the good of the league, it is time for you to sell the team. So stay tuned. But, uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal is uh, pretty skeptical about this, and I don't blame him. You know, what what John Fisher has done from the beginning – uh, or or what he's done in the last several years as far as uh, cutting payroll and anybody that's any good, you know, as soon as you have to pay them, they're out of town, and it's gotten to, you know, for a while, they figured out ways to stay competitive. They're not even remotely competitive now, and it's, it's become an embarrassment, and uh, it could it could get worse before it gets better. Uh, Interesting move out of Texas yesterday, or I mean uh, Detroit. How about this? The Tigers signed their 22-year-old infield prospect, Colt Keith, to a six-year deal for $28.6 million before the kid has even appeared in an MLB game. He's ranked as the number 22 prospect in all of Major League Baseball, and he is now going to get 28.6 over six years. Um, It's two things. It could be a very shrewd move by Detroit because they feel he is a guarantee that he's going to make it. The kid's going to get a $2 million bonus that he'll get uh, uh, half of on February 15th, the other half on March 15th, and then salaries of uh, starting with $2.5 million in 2024, and it goes up like a $1 million a year after that. But at the end of the day, uh, the Tigers are locking down one of their players for a long time. Uh, And with uh, incentives, et cetera, it could raise uh, escalate to maximums of uh, $13 million in 2030, 19 in 2031, and 24 million in 2032. So we'll see. But, you know, on one hand, you can say, well, it's kind of dumb. But on the other hand, if you're the kid, you know what? You're taking the guaranteed money now. And we've seen that. Uh, in a lot of cases where teams try to lock up their young players early and kind of get a little bit of a, uh, a hometown discount because they're taking a chance that you are going to be a star and they've got you cheap for a while. So, uh, But very interesting. Not even, a, uh, not even an at-bat uh, in Major League Baseball, and uh, he's getting that kind of a contract. So good for him. By the way, he's a left-handed hitting third baseman. And uh, looked pretty good in the minors last year. In Double A, he hit 325 14 homers, 50 runs batted in in 59 games. Got promoted to Triple A, and in 67 games, he hit two eighty seven with 13 homers, 51 runs batted in. So the kid looks like the real deal. Uh, a couple of quick signings: uh, Carlos Carrasco, uh, who was three and eight and 20 starts last season. Um, with the Mets, uh, is going to sign a minor league deal with uh, the Cleveland Indians to go back uh, as he tries to see if he's got a lot left in, uh, uh, in that arm. He's 36 years old now uh, and previously spent 11 years pitching for Cleveland before he went to the Mets as part of that deal uh, that sent uh, Francisco Lindor to New York. And uh, Matt Moore, left-handed relief pitcher, heading back to the Angels, a one-year deal for $9 bucks. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Thanks for joining us uh, here for the Wake Up Call. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from uh, the Traveling Wilburys. It's called The End of the Line, probably the uh, swan song for the Detroit Lions. We'll see you. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.